I really only have two marketable skills. Talking and avoiding death. And really, I'm barely good at the second one. This is the After Disaster Broadcast, created by J.J. Ranvier. Location update? With the destruction getting worse with each town, Scout, being a scout, is becoming more and more important. So of course, right now I am completely catastrophizing because Scout is taking a while to get back to us. And by a while, I mean normally she walkies us if she sees a squirrel that's too far away to catch. I mean... She can get distracted, but th- there can't be anything of much interest besides the fact this town's got a name meant for a marijuana capital. And though it's probably more of a meth garage capital, those probably don't exist anymore, but they do tend to explode and... Right, oh god, oh god, I hope... Where is she? Scout, do you read me? Right, I have to say it right or you don't answer scout do you read me over i have it on the right channel right scout over okay scout trying not to panic but i'm hoping you dropped it or you dropped dead into a ditch or something scout what happened Update. The damn batteries in her walkie died. I didn't notice because mine hadn't died, but I mean, I just... Oh my god, I started catastrophizing so fast. I I felt... Oh my god. I just felt so anxious and... Anyway, enough about me. I'm I'm fine. I just... Let's uh, talk about the town that we went into. We uh, had to go into town because our other spare batteries were in the camcorder, and they decided to pee acid and die. This town, though, it's one of those off-the-highway-nothing towns, and it's it's always a bad sign when there are more churches than grocery stores on a single block. Who needs food when you've got the zero-calorie body of Christ to eat? But... Even this town, even this place, it looks like the Moors two men made a shit stop. Pit stop. I'm fine. It looks like this town had one pharmacy and one gas station to get snacks in, and they just straight up burned them both down. I guess I'll just eat a church then. Jihoon was able to tell that the burns were only a few days old. I don't want to know how she knows that. But, uh, to be fair, even I knew a little bit about that sort of thing. Maybe kind of feel useful. Uh, it was from that time that I interviewed a semi-professional arsonist, as you do. He told me about how messy gas fires are and how they smell, and in case we didn't already know that it was those men from the huge mess they made, 
they made sure to spray paint their favorite Latin threat on the side of the building. I hope when one of them runs out of spray paint, they decide to use their own blood, and then one of them hits an artery and... Location update? There are three. Count them. Three... You can't see my hands. Count on your own hands. Three things in this town that were not burnt. A single church, the library, and the speedway. Which is just a dirt track, so it just... I... And, well... I'll give you three, four guesses, I guess, whose nerd butt is excited about the library. It's Elliot. Scout wants to go try and hotwire a race car to pull the cart. Elliot wants to find an alternative to batteries by researching in the library. And I want to smash those men's I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, anyway, out of those options, uh, Jihoon was the tiebreaker, and I think she picked the library because it was the safest option. I could see Scout trying to hook up one of the car batteries to a walkie-talkie to make it work. Okay, not really, but I don't trust her around a car battery. The weird thing about the library... It's not that it's still standing. That's more due to it being off to the side on a side road. The weird thing was the doors weren't just locked. They were padlocked. To keep us out or to keep something in... Either way, the part of me that's been awoken, nudged, viciously poked by the college town and all the other spooky places made me go, nope, nuh-uh, said, let's punch a window and crawl inside and find a side door. She's watched horror movies like I just, and so I followed her inside, not because I blindly follow her anywhere but because I followed the others, who I just... That's not much better, Fark. Well, unidas omnius est. I mean... <sighs> okay. The other thing, though, is I do make fun of Elliot for wanting to go to all the libraries, but I'm starting to get it. It is really nice to be in a place that doesn't smell like ash and more like old books. And and this is one of the first times in a, a really long time we've even taken a few moments to relax, and Marty's starting to feel how good it feels. And we've already given up on looking for books about battery making, and are already looking to books that we really care about. Though June didn't find it funny when I very sincerely gave her a book on paper, airplanes, if you can't get the real ones, I just... Uh, anyway, I'm pretty amused by which books everyone goes for. G rejected my suggestion and said I went for an anthology of best 100 horror movies. I, of course, went for a book on embalming. Though, <laughs> Elliot was sweet and tried to give me a book on ham radios, which was like, I already got this. I learned it very much the hard way. But anyway, Scout is... Well complaining that uh, none of the erotica book covers have men with beards. Because, you know, the important... Anyway. <laughs> and Elliot... Well, Elliot's looking at a book for knitting patterns. And I peeked over their shoulder and it... And they are either going to make a very large eye patch or a... Uh, 
pair of underwear? I mean, does that? Anyway, everyone will grab whatever they want. We've already been here a couple of hours already, and while it's nice to relax, we really need to go find some batteries, and oh, fuck, it's starting to rain ash again. He used to be an ominous sign of the end times. Now it's just annoying. I guess all omens just become a nuisance with time. Personal update? Since I'm on patrol right now and kind of bored. So this is the end of the first full day of Elliot traveling with us for more than a few blocks. And I've started to notice something. That there's two distinct versions of Elliot. Elliot that is a little bit shy, only jumping in conversations occasionally, or that one time at the emergency. Or I guess when they get asked something directly, but still. Otherwise, they're just quietly knitting while walking or sitting with us, not really sleeping with us, sleeping near us, no one's sleeping together, that's a good thing. Uh, anyway, by the end of today, their filters and them have been a little bit worn down, and Tired Elliot has told me everything. From details about what their first period was like, flow rate per minute and everything, to an intricate plot breakdown of the last fantasy novel they read. Surprised though it wasn't just a fanfiction. Scout thinks it's hilarious and has been egging them on. She though, well, she gets less and less talkative the more worn down she is. I mean, it's pretty clear she's an introvert. I wanted to tell poor Elliot not to take it personally, and they'll eventually figure it out or give up or whatever comes first. Shark, did I just hear a car of some sort? I did. I did just hear a vehicle. It's... It's one of them, and they're four-wheelers. Or... Oh, God, a, one of them and just went and hot-wired one of the go-karts from the speedway and, and came back for us and... You know what? Bring it. Let's put this mallet to use. I haven't gotten... Oh. I just looked out the window, and it's a woman. Fark, she's stopping here. I have to wake the others. Well, uh, hmm, duh, wow, okay, uh, these women are way, way different than the women we encountered before. I mean, one important, really important distinction right off the wiffle ball bat, they didn't try and steal our farking stuff, which is a really good way to start things off on the right foot rather than the left, but but for the scale of quality of human interactions we've had so far, the worst, second worst, being the Mothers Against Sharing, this one, uh, this one ranks not even second best, for sure. Okay, I'm really beating around the pubic hair. Mm, and that sounded better in my head. All right. Either way, I'm avoiding talking about what happened when the woman in the hot-wired go-kart went back to her camp. She stopped by the library after seeing me in the window, at first out of curiosity, and then when I got the others, kept talking to us for business purposes. Seriously business. Just 
wanted to know if we wanted to come back with her to camp to see if there was anything to trade. She was, still, understandably wary of the stranger who could rob us. So the woman, weirdly casually, was like, It's four on one. If I try anything, I'm at a disadvantage. Weird, but it worked well enough for us to let her go get some stuff and come back. Though we really, really should have had some idea that this wasn't a normal business trip, just from her telling us her name. It was Foxy. Not a description, even if an accurate one. Just her name. But, but, as someone who generally won't tell people what Joe is short for, even when they ask, I didn't want to ask the always, always rude question of, okay, but what is your real name? But we still didn't question it when she drove off to bring back some trade items, big quotation marks here, in retrospect. Instead, she brought back several other women with interesting names like Candy and Brandy and Vermouth. I am so slow, because it wasn't until she really started laying out some business deals that we got what was going on. They're sex workers. Honestly, how have we not run into any sex workers sooner? Sex work is older than the concept of the apocalypse. Of course it survived it. And, and I don't have a problem with sex workers, really. Shart, I sound like the guy who says he doesn't see race, but then doesn't also date black women. But really, I knew quite a few of them, sometimes in real life, mostly from them calling into my show and just being absolutely charming and telling the best fucking stories. Everything from guys wanting to wear their clothes after they wore them, to drinking UTIP, to some seriously weird stuff with a turkey baster. I kind of wish I could forget the turkey baster. But these women weren't in interested in trading stories. Or trading, period. Brandy told us, well kind of bragged about how spoiled they were with food and supplies from their clients. And heck, I believe it. I've also heard of a stripper getting an entire pizza given to her on stage. And this was back when money meant something. But then Brandy then kept going about how well taken care of they were because of their jobs and how we could all not have to struggle and travel so much. And then it dawned on all of us. They were trying to recruit us. I'm... I'm still... grappling with how I feel about it. I mean, they weren't rude. They were less pushy than a guy trying to sell you a gym membership, though I guess every single person is. Everyone else, well... They didn't hide how they felt. Scout was speechless. The most quiet I have ever seen her. Elliot was flattered. I think genuinely flattered because I think I saw them blush a little bit before giving some excuse about lockjaw or their pelvic floor or something. June, though? Ooh, she said no so harshly. I think she was trying to give them rug burn of the soul. Kendi looked understandably taken aback and Foxy straight up said you don't have to be rude. They all left in a bit of a hurry because Jihun kept glaring at them the whole way. I guess, when I really, really think about it, I am flattered. It does make me feel kind of sexy. 
And I also did have a caller once say I'd make a great phone sex operator, which was sweet, but it's too... Not the 90s. But I do feel weird about someone assuming I would be down for that sort of work. I mean, I'd feel that way about any sort of work, but it's just sort of like weird in the way that when you go out to eat and your date orders for you rather than asking what you want, you know, that's sort of, oh, Jihoon, what's... Okay, uh, location update. Uh, we're not, we're not staying the night in the library again. We're staying with the sex workers. And we really, really don't deserve their kindness. Because, uh, found out why Jihoon was so mad. It wasn't at the sex workers. That was a bit of a mask or a put-off, I guess. She came by to me while I was being by, but also when I was broadcasting, and told me that she was worried about them being forced into it. Well, she used she used the word pimp, which is more than outdated, but I, I knew what she meant. So she was asking me to come with her to camp and see how to get them out, and I, I should have known better. Actually, actually, I do know better. I know that most sex workers aren't looking to get rescued from their jobs. But I was caught up in being flattered that June picked me over the others. And then I found out that actually uh, she'd asked Scout who wanted to guard the stuff and Elliot had wanted to sleep. So I was actually the last choice. And the other reason, it's not an excuse, but I have been feeling so... And I I felt like I could find a direction to just do something. And so I followed Jihun to where she figured out where the camp was. And, oh, God, I really need to stop following women just whenever they ask me to. Though that was a problem before the apocalypse. Anyway, um, I followed her to camp on her embarrassing liberation mission. And I don't know what she... Or even I expected to find a, a merciless brothel owner punishing them for not recruiting us, a, a satanic cult bathing in pig's blood. Satan? Just Satan? But what we found was a bunch of women hanging out in a campsite. Some of them were cooking. Most of them were just talking, even laughing. Jihoon stalked around the whole perimeter trying to find some evidence of something wrong, but just kept finding more women living together and getting along. Like I said, way different than those suburban moms. We stalked around way too long, and my lack of stealth got us caught. Jihoon glides. I step on every stick. Thankfully, the only weapons the women had were knives and such, no guns. And so, you know, we stepped out of the bushes that we were badly hiding in and were able to negotiate a deal. And it's extra good that they don't have guns, because that's really the only reason we're staying here tonight. Our guns, both the bullety kind and the <clears throat> flex muscly kind. Okay, I'm clearly not the muscle here, but either way, in exchange for a nice meal and a place to sleep... We're going to help them patrol the campsite for a while while they wait for some clients to come in. Jian, though, still seems a bit uncomfortable. 
So I'm starting to think it probably wasn't... Oh, fuck. Yeah, that's... <laughs> that's their siren. Rather than a horn, they play a sexy saxophone melody. <laughs> anyway, I think that means the clients are here already. Thank you for listening to the After Disaster broadcast. This was written and produced by J.J. Ronvier. The voice of Joe Prendergast is J.J. Ronvier. The outro person is me, Caitlin Robb. Our audio editor is Rory Strawn-Mock. Enjoyed the podcast? So did we. Subscribe to keep listening to us and leave us a nice review on iTunes. It really helps. In return, email us at theafterdisasterbroadcast at gmail.com that you did, and we will send you one of our rad stickers as a thank you. Not a bribe, just encouragement. To support Joe and her journey to Chicago, please check us out at patreon.com slash theafterdisasterbroadcast, where you can get bonus content for supporting us with your money. For more on the broadcast and surviving the apocalypse, check us out on Twitter at AfterDisasterBC or on any media that makes you feel social in this wasteland. And now, we leave you with this. Survival tip. Always cauterize an actively bleeding wound. Even a bleeding heart.